Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. All right, well, let's step into part two of chapter 28 of Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry. So this is Freemasonry and the Crusades, part two. We need not inquire here into the influence exerted by the Crusades on the state of religion, of education, of commerce, or of society in Europe. The theme is an interesting one, but it is foreign to the subject of our discussion, which is the possible connection that may have existed between them and the origin of Freemasonry. Insofar as they have favored the growth of civic freedom and tended to continue to some extent the system of chivalry, it will be necessary in a future part of this discussion that these points should get some attention. For the present point of view, the most important object of our attention is the organization during the Crusades of three military orders of knighthood, the Knights Hospitaller, the Knights Templar, and the Teutonic Knights. Through these, but principally through the second, the attempt is made to find the origin of the Masonic institution in the time of the Crusaders. The origin of the institution of chivalry may have been from the mounted horsemen of the Romans, the Scandinavians, the Arabians, the Persians, or what is far more probable, from the peculiar influences of the feudal system. However, it is certain that the form of knighthood which found a place in the organization of religious and military orders took its rise in Palestine during the wars of the Crusades. Before that era, no such organizations of knighthood were known in Europe. The Knights Hospitaller of St. John, now better known as the Knights of Malta because of their later location in that island, was the first of the military and religious orders established in Palestine. Its origin must be traced to the Hospitallers of Jerusalem, a purely charitable body founded by certain merchants of Amalfi in the Kingdom of Naples, who, trading in the east, built hospitals in Jerusalem for the entertainment and relief of poor and sick pilgrims, about the middle of the 11th century. After the First Crusade had begun, many knights, laying aside their arms, joined with the Hospitallers in the pious task of attending the sick. At length, Gerard, the rector of the hospital, induced his brethren to take the vows of poverty, obedience, and chastity, and to adopt a peculiar costume consisting of a black robe bearing a white cross of eight points. The familiar Maltese cross, four barbed arrowheads meeting at their points, on the left breast. This was in the year 1099. The knights, however, continued their peaceful work of attending the sick until 1118, when Gerard, having died, was succeeded by Raymond de Puy as rector. The military spirit of Raymond did not favor the monkish retirement fostered by his predecessor. He, therefore, proposed a change in the plan and purpose of the society by which it should become a military order devoted to the protection of Palestine from the attacks of the infidels. The members gladly agreed to this proposition, and taking new vows at the hands of the Patriarch of Jerusalem, the Military Order of Knights of St. John of Jerusalem was established in 1118. The order remained in Palestine during its occupation by the Christians of the Latin Kingdom, taking an active part in all the wars of the Eight Crusades. When the city of Acre fell before the victorious army of the Sultan of Egypt, the Hospitallers with the knights of the other two orders, who had escaped the slaughter, which attended the siege and followed on the surrender, fled to Cyprus. 
From there, they went to Rhodes, where they remained for 200 years under the title of the Knights of Rhodes, and afterward permanently established themselves at Malta in 1530, where, with a change of name to that of the Knights of Malta, they remained until the island was taken possession of by Napoleon in the year 1798. This was virtually the end of the career of these valiant knights, although the order continued to retain some remnant of its existence in Italy. The Order of Knights Templar was established in the year 1118 by Hugh de Payens, Godfrey de St. Aldemar, and seven other knights whose names history has not preserved. Uniting the characters of the monk and the soldier, they took the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience in the presence of the Patriarch of Jerusalem. Baldwin II, King of Jerusalem, gave them as a residence a part of his palace which stood near the site of the former temple, and the abbot and officers of the church and convent of the temple added another building for keeping their arms, from which circumstance they derived their name of Templars. The Templars took a most active part in the defense of Palestine during the two centuries of the Crusades. They also established homes called preceptories in every country of Europe where many of the knights resided. But the headquarters of the order was in Palestine. At the close of the contest for the conquest of the Holy Land, when Acre fell and the Latin kingdom was dissolved, the Templars made their escape to Europe and were distributed among the various preceptories. Their wealth excited the envy and their power the rivalry of Philip the Fair, King of France, who with the help of a weak and wicked Pope, Clement V, resolved to crush the order. Charges of unbelief and of wrongdoing, irreligion and immorality were made against them. Proofs were not wanting when testimony was required by a king and a pontiff. On the 11th of March, 1314, Jacques or James de Molay, the Grand Master, with the three principal officers of the order, were publicly burnt at the stake, 54 knights having suffered the same fate three years before. The order was suppressed in every country of Europe. Its vast possessions were partly taken by the different sovereigns for their own use and partly given to the Knights of Malta, between whom and the Templars there had always been a rivalry, and who were not unwilling to share in the spoils of their old-time foes. In Portugal alone, they were permitted to continue their existence under the name of the Knights of Christ. But it is well to remember that so careful a student as Brother W.J. Chetwode Crawley in Ars Quator Coronati, Volume 26, Part 1, page 52, rejects this latter claim. His reasons are in brief that what prevented the Order of St. John from being a home for the outcast Templars operated even more strictly with the new order. When Dionysius, king of Portugal, lost the help of the Templars against the Moors, he created a new order whose success depended upon its being distinct from the order expelled. Beyond their common object, the two were totally different. The order of the temple had a white mantle, a red cross, and the standard was the black and silver banner. The order of Christ had a black mantle, a white cross, and the standard was the royal banner of Portugal. The Portuguese order was under Benedictine rule and the Templars under Augustinian. This last precaution was enforced in 1320 by Pope John Paul XXII, and probably to prevent the old order entering the new. See also an accurate historical account of all the orders of knighthood at present existing in Europe, volume 2, page 52. The Teutonic Knights, the last of the three orders, was a German organization. Their humble origin is thus told. During the Crusades, a wealthy gentleman from Germany resided at Jerusalem, where he built a hospital for the relief and support of his countrymen who were pilgrims. This charity was extended by other Germans coming from Lübeck and Bremen. Finally, during the Third Crusade, a fine hospital was erected at Accra, and an order was formed under the name of the Teutonic Knights, or Brethren of the Hospital of Our Lady, of the Germans of Jerusalem. 
The rule or regulations adopted by the Knights closely resembled the Hospitallers or Templars, with the exception that none but Germans could be admitted into the order. The Teutonic Knights, like the Knights of the other two orders, remained in Palestine until the fall of Acre, when they returned to Europe. For many years, they were engaged in a crusade to convert the pagans of Prussia and Poland, and then warred against the kings of Poland who invaded their lands. After centuries of contests with various powers, the order was at length abolished by Emperor Napoleon in 1809, although it long continued, but in name only, in Austria. As to any pretended connection of the Crusaders with Freemasonry, we may dismiss the two orders of the Knights of Malta and the Teutonic Knights with the single remark that in their organization they bore not the slightest likeness to that of Freemasonry. They had no arcana or inner mystery in their system, no secret form of initiation or admission, and no especial methods of recognition. Besides this want of similarity, which must at once forbid any idea of a link between Freemasonry and these chivalric orders, we fail to find in history any record of such a connection or the faintest reference to it. Let us suppose that Freemasonry owed its origin to the Crusades, as has been asserted by some writers, or that any influence was exerted upon it by the knights who returned to Europe after or during these wars and found the craft already existing as an organization. Then we must look for such connection or such influence to the Templars only. The probabilities of such a connection have been based upon the following historic grounds. The Knights Templar were a secret society, differing in this respect from the other two orders. They had a secret doctrine and a secret ceremony of initiation into their ranks. This secret character of their ceremonies was made the subject of one of the charges preferred against them by the Pope. The words of this charge are that, when they held their chapters, they shut all the doors of the house or church in which they met so closely that no one could approach near enough to see or hear what they were doing or saying. It is further said in the next charge that when they held their secret chapter, they placed a watchman on the roof of the house or church in which they met to foresee the approach of anyone. Perhaps the Templars had held frequent and intimate relations with some of the secret societies which during the Crusades existed in the East. From them they may have got certain doctrines which they made a part of their own order and introduced into Europe on their return, making these the basis of a system resulting at least in the invention of the advanced degrees, if not in the creation of an entire Masonic institution. It may not be possible to sustain this theory of the relations of the Templars and the secret societies of the East by any authentic historical proof, but it derives some feature of possibility, and perhaps even of probability, from the admitted character of the Knights Templar during the last days of their residence in Palestine. They have not been supposed to strictly obey their vows of chastity and poverty. They had lost that humility which made them at first call themselves poor fellow soldiers of Christ and adopt as a seal two knights riding on one horse. So much is evident from the well-known anecdote of Richard I of England, being advised by a zealous preacher to get rid of his three favorite daughters, pride, envy, and lust. He replied, You counsel well. I hereby dispose of the first to the Templars, the second to the Benedictines, and the third to my bishops. The Templars were accused by their fellow men of loose morals and of infidelity in religion. The Boy de Guibert, drawn by the graphic pen of Brother Walter Scott in Ivanhoe, although fiction, had many a counterpart in history. There was, in short, nothing in the severity of manners or strictness of faith which would have prevented the Templars of the Crusades from holding frequent meetings with the infidel secret societies around them. The Druses, indeed, are said by some modern writers to have Templar blood in them, from the unlawful relations of their female ancestors with the Knights. Three of these secret societies at least demand a brief attention, from the supposed connection of the Templars with them. 
These are the Essenes, the Druses, and the Assassins. The Essenes were a Jewish sect living mainly on the shores of the Dead Sea. Of the three schools of religion favored by the Jews in the time of our Savior, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were only, only were censured for their vices and their deceit, while neither he nor any of the writers of the New Testament have referred in words of censure or of criticism to the Essenes. This complete silence concerning them has been understood to be in their favor, as showing that they had not by their doctrines or their conduct incurred or deserved the displeasure of our Lord or his disciples. Some have even supposed that St. John the Baptist, as well as some of the evangelists and apostles, were members of the sect, an opinion that is at least not absurd. The conclusion of De Quincey that they were Christians is supported only by the similarities of conduct, the Essenes having many things in common. Their ceremonies and their beliefs are hidden in mystery, notwithstanding the labors of the learned Ginsberg. From him and from Josephus, who is the first of the ancient writers who has mentioned them, as well as from Philo and some other authorities, we get the following facts. The forms and ceremonies of the Essenes were, like those of the Freemasons, mostly symbolical. They were all opposed to marriage, and hence it became necessary to recruit their ranks, with which death and other causes cut down from time to time by the admission of new converts. Therefore, they adopted a system of initiation divided into three degrees. The first stage was begun by a preparation extending over some three years. At the end of the first degree, the trials of which continued for 12 months, the candidate was presented with a spade, an apron, and a white robe, the last being a symbol of purity. In the second degree, or stage, he was called an approacher. This period of his progress lasted for two years, during which time he was permitted to join in some of the ceremonies of the sect, but not allowed to be present at them all. He was then accepted as an associate. If his conduct was approved, he was finally advanced to the third degree and received into full membership as a companion or disciple. Brewster, in the work credited to Lowry, seeks to find a common origin for the Freemasons and the Essenes, and supports his opinion by the following facts, which, if they do not sustain the truth of his claims, are certainly confirmed by other authorities. He says, When a candidate was proposed for admission, the strictest scrutiny was made into his character. If his life had hitherto been exemplary, and he had appeared capable of curbing his passions and regulating his conduct according to the virtuous though austere maxims of the order, he was presented at the expiration of his novitiate with a white garment as an emblem of the regularity of his conduct and the purity of his heart. A solemn oath was then administered to him that he would never divulge the mysteries of the order, and he would make no innovations over the doctrines of the society, and that he would continue in that honorable course of piety and virtue which he had begun to pursue. Like Freemasons, they instructed the young members in the knowledge which they derived from their ancestors. They admitted no women into their order. They had particular signs for recognizing each other, which have a strong resemblance to those of the Freemasons. They had colleges or places of retirement, where they resorted to practice their rights and settle the affairs of the society. And after the performance of these duties, they assembled in a large hall, where an entertainment was provided for them by the president or master of the college, who allotted a certain quantity of provisions to every individual. They abolished all distinctions of rank, and if preference was ever given, it was given to piety, liberality, and virtue. Treasurers were appointed in every town to supply the wants of indigent strangers. Josephus gives the Essenian oath more fully. He tells us that before being admitted to the common meal, that is, before receiving full membership, the candidate takes an oath that he will exercise piety toward God and observe justice toward men, that he will injure no one either of his own accord or by the command of others, that he will hate the wicked and aid the good. 
that he will be faithful to all men, especially to those in authority, that if ever placed in authority, he will not abuse his power nor seek to surpass those under him in the costliness of his garments or decorations, that he will be a lover of truth and a reprover of falsehood, that he will keep his hands clear from theft and his soul from unlawful gains, that he will conceal nothing from the members of his own sect, nor reveal their doctrines to others, even at the hazard of his life, nor will he communicate those doctrines to anyone otherwise than as he himself received them, and finally, that he will preserve and violate the books of the sect and the names of the angels. This last expression is supposed to refer to the secrets connected with the tetragrammaton, or four-lettered name, and the other names of God and of the ruling angels comprised in the curious knowledge taught by the Kabbalists, and also, it is said, by the Essenes. The mystery of the name of God was then, as it is now, a feature in all Oriental philosophy and religion. In the opinion of Brunet, the Essenes were less of a sect of religion than a religious order or association of zealous and pious men whom the desire of attaining a state of perfection had bound together. But whether they were one or the other, any theory which seeks to connect them with Freemasonry through the Knights Templar has but slight foundation, if any. At the time of the Crusades, and indeed long before, the Essenes had ceased to hold a place in history. What little remained of them was to be found in settlements about the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. They were few in numbers and had lost the old strictness of rule in their doctrines and their manners, adopting the custom of marriage and accepting much of the philosophy of Plato, of Pythagoras, and of the school of Alexandria. They still kept, however, their Jewish faith and much of the original severity of rules. Therefore, it is unlikely that there could have been any real intimacy and relationship between them and the Templars. Their poverty and lack of importance would have had no attraction to the Knights, and their severity of manners in Judaism would have repelled them. Let us admit the similarity of, of Essenism and Freemasonry in the establishment by each of a brotherhood distinguished by love, charity, and a secret initiation. We can draw no conclusion from these coincidences, though, that there was a connection of the two associations, since the same similarities will be found in all fraternities, ancient and modern. They arise from no spirit of imitation or fact of descent, but are the natural outgrowth of the social condition of man, which is ever developing itself in such mystical and fraternal associations. We shall elsewhere treat of the theory which traces Freemasonry from Essenism by a direct descent, without the use of a Christian chivalric link in the chain. We cannot, in considering the secret societies of the East at the time of the Crusades, avoid the anticipation of that argument to some extent. The Druses were followers of another mystical religion with which the Templars are said to have come in contact and from whom they are claimed to have borrowed certain dogmas and customs which were taken to Europe and put into the system of Freemasonry. The Templars may have had relations of some sort with the Druses. Of that is some evidence, both traditional and historic. But what influence that communication had upon either Templarism or Freemasonry is a problem that admits only of a doubtful solution. The one proposed by King in his work on the Gnostics will be referred to in the proper place. The Druses are a mystical sect who have always inhabited the southern side of Mount Lebanon and the western side of Anti-Lebanon, extending from Beirut in the north to Sur in the south, and from the shores of the Mediterranean to the city of Damascus. They trace their origin to Hakim, who was Sultan of Egypt in 996, but derived their name from Mohammed ben Israel Darasi, under whose leadership they fled from Egypt in the year 1016 and settled in Syria, and that part around Lebanon where they are still to be found. Their religion appears to be a mixture of Judaism, Christianity, and Mohammedanism. Exactly what their religion is, it is impossible to tell. 
They keep their dogmas a secret to be imparted only to those of their tribe who have passed through a form of initiation. Churchill says of this initiation that there is a preparation period of 12 months before the candidate can be admitted to full membership. In the second year, the apprenticeship and training have been completed. The Druse is permitted to wear the white turban as a badge of his profession and is allowed to take part in all the mysteries of his religion. These mysteries refer altogether to dogma, for their religion is without ceremonies of any kind, and even without prayer. Their doctrines have been explained as follows. There is one God, unknown and unknowable, without personal form, and of whom we can only predicate an existence. Nine times he has appeared on earth in the form of man. These were not incarnations, for God did not assume flesh, but merely put on flesh as a man puts on a garment. There are five invisible intelligences called ministers of religion and who have been impersonated by five Druze teachers, of whom the first is universal intelligence, personated by Hamsa, whose creation was the immediate work of God. The second is the universal soul, personated by Ismail, and is the female principle in like manner as the universal intelligence is the male. From the two proceed the word, which is personated by Muhammad Wahab. The fourth is the right wing or the proceeding, produced from the word and the universal soul and personated by Salama. The fifth is the left wing or the following, produced in the same way from the proceeding and personated by Moktana Bahidin. These form the religious hierarchy of Jerusalem as the ten Sephiroth make the mystical tree of the Kabbalist from whom it is probable that the Druses borrow the idea. But they are taken, as Dr. Jessup says, in some mysterious and incomprehensible sense which no Druse, man or woman, ever understood or can understand. Yet their sacred books assert that none can possess the knowledge of Drusism except he knows all about these ministers of religion. There have also been seven precepts or commandments, obedience to which is ordered, but they are seldom heeded by modern Druses, and never in their dealings with unbelievers, those outside their ranks. These official rules of conduct are, one, to speak the truth, two, to render each other mutual assistance, three, to renounce all error, four, to separate from the ignorant and wicked, five, to always assert the eternal unity of God, six, to be submissive under trials and sufferings, Seven, to be content in any condition, whether of joy or sorrow. We have no reliable information of their outward forms and ceremonies because their worship is a secret one. In their sacred buildings, sheltered among high trees or placed on the mountaintop, there are no ornaments. They have no formal rites and do not offer prayer. But in their worship, sing hymns and read the sacred books. Churchill gives evidence of the deep secrecy in which the Druses hide their religion. Two objects, he says, engrossed my attention, the religion of the Druses and the past history of the races which now occupy the mountain range of Lebanon. In vain I tried to make the terms of extreme friendship and intimacy which existed between myself and the Druses available for the purpose of informing myself on the first of these points. Sheikhs, Akals, and peasants alike baffled my inquiries, either by jocose evasion or by direct negation. Finally, as if to complete their resemblance to a secret society, we are told that to enable one Druze to recognize another, a system of signs and passwords is adopted, without an exchange of which no particulars in respect to their mysteries are given. The Reverend Mr. King, in his work on the Gnostics, thinks that the Druzes of Mount Lebanon, though claiming for their founder the Egyptian Caliph Hakim, are in all probability the remains of the numerous Gnostic sects noticed by Prosopius as flourishing there most extensively in his own times which was in the 6th century. 
And he adds that the popular belief among their neighbors is that they, the Druses, adore an idol in the form of a calf and hold in their secret meetings orgies similar to those laid to the charge of the Ophites in Roman times, of the Templars in medieval, and of the Continental Freemasons in modern times. This statement has been supported by other writers. Mr. King thinks it's an interesting and important point that the Druses hold the residence of their supreme head to be in Scotland, a tradition which, he says, has been evidently handed down from the times when the Templars were all-powerful in their neighborhood. This would prove, admitting the statement to be true, rather that the Druses borrowed from the Templars than that the Templars borrowed from the Druses. Even then, it will be difficult to explain why the Templars should have traced their head to Scotland, since the legend of Scottish Templarism is of more recent growth. We may, however, judge of the weight to be attached to Mr. King's arguments from the fact that he deems it to be a singular coincidence that our Freemasons are often spoken of by German writers as the Scottish Brethren. Not being a Freemason, he knew not the meaning of the term which refers to a particular rite of Freemasonry and not to any theory of its origin, and is therefore no coincidence at all. The theory that connects the sect of Gnostics with Freemasonry will in its turn be considered. The Reverend Haskett Smith has argued that the Druses are none other than the original subjects of Hiram, king of Tyre, and that their ancestors were the builders of Solomon's temple. That to this very day the Druses retain many evident tokens of their close and intimate connection with the ancient craft of Freemasonry. Moreover, Lawrence Oliphant, writing some years ago respecting the Druses of Mount Lebanon, pointed out the very close similarity that exists between their ritual for admission of youths into their secret conclave and the initiation ceremony of a modern apprentice to speculative masonry. Another secret society of greater importance than the Druses flourished with vigor in Syria at the time of the Crusaders. The relations of this society with the Templars, as historically proved, may have had some influence over that order in suggesting or shaping some of its esoteric dogmas and ceremonies. This was the sect named the Assassins. And then we'll pick it up next week with the Assassins. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.